All views and opinions expressed in this podcast may lead to learning. All information provided is for educational and developmental purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for a growth mindset. Before taking action, please consult your motivation. Welcome to Teacher Talking Time, brought to you by Learn Your English. Learn Your English is a company that is changing the way people study, learn, and teach languages. Learn Your English offers students and teachers strategies to effectively develop their abilities and skills in their own time. Bringing you the latest in English language learning and teaching, Teacher Talking Time explores all angles for teachers and students alike. Got a question? Comment. A story to share. Send us an email at info at learnyourenglish.com. This is the Teacher Talking Time Podcast. And the most important things that I learned about being a teacher, caring for students, not just trying to say your grammar is wrong or, I don't know, you got this wrong, your writing should be improved. You try to look at them as friends, uh, treat them as people uh, who might be with you uh, and, you know, be in touch with you throughout your life. Come up with long-term relationships with your students. I learned that I, to be a good teacher, I need to care for my students. You will fail sometimes. You will fall on your face. Um, but I would say to teachers, young teachers starting out now, I just say, find your own voice. Find your own voice. Don't, this is a profession. It's not about being a sheep, you know. For God's sake, find what is in you as a person without all the apparatus. Find what it is that spark that makes you unique and nurture it and convey it. But I think the main the main thing that I learned there was was that everyone needs a reason to learn a language or to, to acquire a language or to speak a language. And there's no point in having a class where it's it's the, the result of the class isn't going to be something that they can practically use. So like I told you, whether we are teaching or we're preparing and then we are planning, we are programming things. So it is exhausting. People don't get it because they don't do it. Mm. And it's really easy to talk about things you don't know, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you to look at an architect and say, oh, it's just a piece of drawing. <laughs> right. You know, to, 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 to get to a vat and say, no, I just need to take a quick look. <laughs> it's just like that. <laughs> Let's stop underestimating professions, please. Hi everyone, my name is Carrie and I'm from Macau. This is Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. Education. It's not about studying or homework. It's not even only about learning. Education can be a lifestyle. It can be life-changing. Perhaps it can be something that can even change the world. Nelson Mandela famously said that education, education is, one is one of the most important weapons in a country. We wanted to transform education into a national asset 
into an instrument we can use for development. I think that still holds true. I hope you do too. October 5th, which is today, the day this episode is being released, is Teacher's Day in Canada, as it is in more than 100 countries around the world. For a teacher, or if you're just really grateful for education in general, and you should be, now is the time to show that appreciation. Today is National Teacher Appreciation Day, so use the day, take a moment, appreciate educators of all kinds and all the good that they do in the world. Did you ever have a favorite teacher? I did, Brenda Brewer. Why, why, why was she your favorite? I don't know, she just, she just connected and she made me work hard and understand how important school was and I enjoyed school with her. On October 5th, we celebrate those of us that bring the light of learning to this world. Happy World Teachers Day. Some nations, including the United States, who celebrate in May, have alternative dates, but many follow October 5th, which was established by UNESCO in 1994. This is a day to honor and thank teachers, teaching organizations, and those involved in education globally for all the work they do. Him, I'm relentlessly pursuing my academic area of interest in, at New York Law School. He pushed us to do it the best that we could, um, and he was just so fun. He kind of opened the door to this whole world of calculus and top-of-level science and math, and he was also a great mentor because they pushed me to be successful, and without that push, I wouldn't be who I am today, and I'm grateful for what they have done. We've dedicated this episode to teachers and teaching professionals everywhere. We've said this before, but teaching can be, somewhat ironically, an isolating profession. We work with many interesting, inspiring people, but sometimes we don't know their stories, or just how similar their stories are to our stories. And sometimes, we don't learn the stories of teachers all over the world, because there are teachers all over the world, of course. This goes without saying. But education is also learning about others, and finding comfort and knowledge in shared experiences. And that's the aim of this episode, to share stories, to inspire and to make the world a little smaller. Thanks for listening. This is Teacher Talking Time. In this special episode, we simply ask, why did you become a teacher? And we had the opportunity to interview six different teachers, three men. Okay, my name is Mustafa Asrati. Matthew Brown. Okay, so my name is Danny McGee. And three women. Yes, uh, my name's Angela. So hi, I'm Mandy Welfare. So my name's Marina. From a wide variety of teaching contexts, backgrounds, and experience. And my teaching context right now is uh, the school of ESL at George Brown College. I don't want to age myself, okay. but I've been teaching, <laughs> I would say, for around uh, 30 years now. I'm originally from... Uh, just south of Bath in England, but I'm based in Berlin. Um, I've been teaching for, oh, how many years? 13 years, teaching English for 13 years. And uh, for the past seven years, I've been focusing on business English and intercultural communication training. Um, and I also write some ELT materials. 
Um, I am teaching uh, at George Brown. I'm teaching in the EAP program, level four. And I've been teaching since 2002. I live in Columbus, Ohio. I teach middle school Spanish. So seventh grade exploratory. I get, I get six, every six weeks I get new kids. It's just the basics and then eighth grade Spanish one. It's like a high school course. And I've been teaching for six years. Ryerson, 21 years. 22, no. 20 plus. Depends, 20 plus. <laughs> 20 plus. Yes, let's be merciful. <laughs> okay. And I've taught um, grades, yeah, okay. from grade four to grade 12, basically. And I've taught adults um, in college and university situations. I'm from Brazil. I'm from Chapico in the south of Brazil. I'm 34 now, and I've been teaching English for 20 years. 20? Yeah, my focus is on you know adult learners and beginners. And mainly people who are preparing to travel, you know, so they, they don't have a lot of contact with the language. And my main objective is to make them be understood. We talked teaching, life, success stories, and failures. If they still inspire, feel inspired, and about how they got into the field in the first place. In part two of the series, we ask our instructors about the challenges of being a teacher what gives them the longevity to keep going, and if they've ever thought about leaving the profession. What misconceptions about teaching are particularly sensitive to them, if any, and advice they have for new teachers starting today, and also for themselves on their first day years ago. Six teachers, eight questions, two episodes. This is part two of two. Let's dive in. Number five. Teaching is a, we, we say, a very rewarding profession, but also a very demanding profession, right? Yes. So what challenges do you face or have you faced being a teacher? What are some of the biggest challenges in your professional career? Uh, I would say when it comes to, I can just name probably one or two. One of the challenges in teaching for me has been to find a teaching position mm -hmm. so that I can go and, you know, share my understanding of the subject matter with, with my students. Uh, another challenge, I think, is when you um, come across a student who's, um, who do not, okay, does not fit in the context of the classroom mm. for one reason or another. And you can see that the student is suffering for some reason. And there's very little that you can do. And that's one of the challenges, uh, trying to um, bring him or her on board, trying to show that they're quite valuable members of, of the learning context. And they need to um, you know, do their best in order to, to, to achieve their dreams and learn. So what, that is one of the challenges. I what strategies have you implemented that you have found to be successful in those types of situations? Yes, not to make that student stand out a lot mm -hmm. and at the same time not to ignore the student. Treat them equally as any other student in class. Because sometimes if you just emphasize or focus on a particular student mm -hmm. that might prove to be counterproductive. So just treat them as anybody else, I would say, would mm. help. Um, I guess 
uh, I mean, talking about my Berlin experience, um, part of the challenges is uh, is actually focused around bureaucracy. Um, Mm. Mm. That's a good one. Yeah, most of us work freelance over here. Um, And actually, that taught me a lot about business because you essentially have to set up your own business in order to work as a freelancer. Right. Um, And so my um, tax German and finance German is uh, top notch. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's impressive. (laughs) Yeah. But um, I guess another another challenge which comes along with the with the kind of job description of teaching business English as well is um, getting into the heads of your students and getting into their kind of discourse community to find out exactly what language they need, who they're communicating with, how they're communicating with them, the kind of intercultural exchanges that they have. For example, the uh, students that I teach um, in real estate, they have a completely different um, communication style to the students that I teach in, in the paper mill, for example. And I think as a teacher, you really need to get into the minds of the students. And I mean, this is when, you know, we're looking at their, um, yeah, realia. So what they're actually using. So looking at their emails and and getting them to record their telephone conversations and things like that so that we can really tailor our feedback, our language feedback to their particular circumstances. And I think that that's that's a real challenge of the job. But that also makes it really rewarding and really fun. These are all the good things about teaching, I think. And But there are also lots of challenges uh, in whatever context that people teach in. Um, yeah. What challenges would you identify uh, for you in, in being a teacher? What challenges do you face? That's well, funny. Yeah, teaching you can learn a lot about yourself. Mm-hmm. Because whatever, bo- whatever students do that bother you is probably your own behavior reflected back to you so for one thing there's mm. all the karma for the years i don't know about you i'm sure mm. you were an angel and coming up through high school i'm sure mm. oh uh, peaks and valleys you know <laughs> <laughs> i was a good student but i was also very like loud and you know joking around and right. you know sometimes i have those those jokers in the class and i say you know what you're me when i was your age that usually but i mean mm. there's that but i think also the hardest part is probably when i really care about something that's really precious to me and i I have seen it as a, oh, I'm going to share this with my students, and they just don't care. And this is instructive because you have to put your ego aside to be an effective teacher. I mean, you have to have an ego, but you can't, it's tempting because you're the one steering the ship. Sometimes you're like, okay, I read, for example, I read this story. I'm going to share it with my students because it meant a lot to me. And if they don't get grabbed by it or they don't have the language to fully apprehend what appeals to you about it, or it's just not relevant to them at this point. You know, over the years, it's been a gradual process of whittling away mm-hmm. a lot of these attachments I had. And I'll give you one example. I had to, when I first came to Ryerson, I could teach an elective. So I said, okay, great. I'll teach a course about doing comics because that's the course I wish I could have taken. It's a great textbook. It's written as a comic book. And it'll be cool because every test will just be empty panels and they fill it in responding to the things we've learned from the textbook. And I thought this is like, you know, I thought this is going to be great. They're going to love it. But most of them... They didn't want to be in the class. They didn't want to be doing any extra work. They never read the chapters in between, even though the chapters were in comic book form. And I was just shocked. I was like, and then I realized comics matter to me, but they don't matter to everyone. That sounds basic. Okay. So how do you approach that? I mean, every teacher's been in that situation yeah. if you taught for more than six months or a year where you yeah. have a class and you're excited about it and they're not yeah. into it, but the yeah. class has to continue. So right. how do you handle that kind of situation? Well, finally, I, after teaching it twice and realizing I had to change something, 
I changed the focus to be very broad and I just retitled it traditional versus modern art and design. Mm. So, and it was a more passive and receptive approach where every week we have a different general field like advertising, fashion, dance, whatever, architecture. So it's much more them sharing what they liked. That's the whole thing. And they, every week they had to f send me a YouTube link to a form of dance or maybe uh, send me JPEG pictures of a mm -hmm. uh, city they thought was cool. And then they would have to present why they liked it. Well, you know, this made the course much more successful. Great. And I learned. I think that it's a slippery slope, right? Because as teachers, as you say, we, we students res usually respond to teachers who are passionate about something. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that they are going to in turn be passionate about what we're passionate about, right? right? So yeah, as a teacher, I, th I think that right. our, our, a big part of our role is to help them find their passion or help yes. them realize what they are passionate about and then do that and talk about that. And, and my passion doesn't matter in terms of them, but me being passionate about what I'm yeah. passionate about matters because they yeah. see the passion and then they, can, well put. they can put that into what they are passionate about. That's right? well put. And, I, and that applies to all relationships. I mean, I'm surrounded by people who for whom comics are not a number one priority, mm -hmm. including my wife <laughs> and my family and my close friends. A lot of them don't even read the comics I publish because they don't get comics, which is irritating to me on some level. But on another level, it's like, well, I don't get, for example, what if they're into shopping for fashion or, right. you know, uh, I don't know, the, the, the intricacies of legal history in New England or whatever it is that turns But you can on. appreciate what I can appreciate and yeah, yeah you have to you're a hundred percent right Andrew you have to be passionate about something to be a full human being and if you're a full human being your students are responding to that quality in you and then you, what the best you can do is to try to get them to develop their potential where they can. Dealing with people is not something easy. There are expectations, there are projections, uh, their judgments, the things they have, their understanding about the world, the faith they put on you. So um, dealing with teaching and making people feel comfortable about learning and learning a foreign language, especially in Brazil, we don't have the opportunity to use English here very often. Mm -hmm. Well, except when I, when there are people coming here. My town, I live in a small town. I don't live in uh, major capital cities, so the opportunities to use English are really, really low here. So um, making people understand that they are the ones who build their knowledge. You know, I am just a small portion of what happens to them. I'm just a guide. I take them through a path. I clarify their doubts. I show them what they can do. But learning is about yourself. It's about you going for it studying every day, getting into with the language every day, trying your best, practicing. So I think it's uh, uh, making people understand that teachers are not the top of the mountain of the knowledge and you cannot reach them. You can. You just have to go hard for that. It's making Great. students understand it's not about the teacher, it's about themselves. Oh, I like that. That's very good. I think... Yeah, you understand that. <laughs> motivation is a, is a key thing and some people don't think motivation matters or the motivation is really important in, in learning, I think. But you have to be invested in some way if you're learning something. And there has to yeah. be a reason why you're learning it. And it doesn't yeah, have to be about the subject that you're studying. It could be for something completely different. But then you need to find out what that is. Exactly. And learning a language as a foreign language, as you've suggested, is incredibly difficult because the benefit of coming to a country where they speak the language, I learned Spanish because I lived in a Spanish speaking country, not yeah. because of the lessons or the teachers that I had. Uh, those exactly. were helpful, of course. But learning English in a country like Brazil, I imagine, would be 
I mean, the internet is a great resource, but it doesn't replace actual human interaction, right? I believe in that. I believe in that. I believe in the power that you have when you hug people, when you calm them down, when you look at them and you say, I have been there. I know what it feels. Mm -hmm. Do you have any students who, I'm not sure how to phrase this, but I think having a, a teacher who is not an English speaker natively is a benefit because they're, you're the model, you're the example. You, mm -hmm. If you work hard, if you put in the effort, if you want to do it, you can do it. On yes. the other hand, and it's starting to change in the industry, but there's sometimes still places in some parts of the world where they want teachers to be native speakers. Do you have mm -hmm. any challenges overcoming that? Oh, no, never. Good. Lucky me. Good. <laughs> but I always try to to, to show them uh, how important it is that I speak the same language they do because they understand the constructions they make. Mm -hmm. You know, I know why a student makes a sentence the way he does, he, she does, because sometimes we make sentences according to our mother language that you couldn't understand. Sometimes you no could easily understand, okay, take some words here, it makes sense. Okay, not the best use of words, whatever, but you get them. But there are some cases where we just translate the expressions, the idioms or the things and it isn't uh, it is impossible for someone to understand and then i say it's not because people from other country they're not patient or they don't want to get you it's because it doesn't make sense at all for them so i think that um, my mother language is the same mother language as my students so it makes it easier for me to adjust the way he thinks he constructs the language may i well, add something of course Uh, when I went to Canada and I had the opportunity to be your student, remember our first lesson, what I told you? No. The first 10 minutes. <laughs> to be honest, no, I don't. Focus on not crying. Focus on not crying. Okay, why? Everybody was terrified because you speak very fast. I do. And I was like, I was like, okay, Marina, don't cry. You're here for a reason. Calm down. Yeah, you're laughing now. I know that. But I was about <laughs> to cry. And then uh, it was a really challenge to my listening skills. I remember you told me in the last day of lesson, I haven't, I haven't slowed down. Your ears, they have to speed up, you know? <laughs> so it's, that was one thing only native speakers can do for us. So it's a shame. Uh, as I try to speak as fast as I can with my students, but I know I will never replace your way, your speed, okay. the words. I'm not sure that's a good thing. I mean, I think I speak too fast in general. I don't think that's... I mean, there are, my brother doesn't understand me. Like, there's lots of things I need to, you know, okay, I need to slow so down. I'm glad I was not the only one at the time. <laughs> not. And students still say that to me uh, today. Uh, my class this week, they were saying, my God... Well, this week, we're almost finished the course. So, But in week one of the course, that, so, you know, two months ago or whatever... They were all saying, oh, my God, you speak so fast. Can you slow down? And I say, no. No, no, you have to deal with that. Well, I mean, I'm joking because obviously, and I no, teach but, at the but, highest level. So. But I mean it. I mean it. People uh, are not going to slow down with you all the time. They might be patient, to okay, and show. But in real life, you are talking to native speakers among their friends. They're not going to slow down because you are there. That's no. probably true, although I would argue, and we've talked about this on other podcasts, that that's probably not the yeah. best situation. I mean, I think there needs to be more empathy in language, and I think it shouldn't always be on the person who's acquiring the language to catch up. It should be a middle ground on, if we're a native speaker of whatever language, in this case it could be English, but it could be Portuguese, that if you're speaking yeah. with someone who, who doesn't speak it proficiently, then you should slow down and you should meet them somewhere yeah, in the middle. Uh, you know, a mutual I think understanding. It's really impolite to exclude someone when you are in a room. Right. 
And the joke about the ears is always a joke. I say, I, I don't need to speak slower. You need to listen faster. But that's not possible. That's not, that's not a thing. Let's not spread that. So what, two parts then. What challenges do teachers in those contexts face? Are they, are they I mean, the challenges are, are obvious. What ways, or is it possible to, to overcome those challenges? And two, what challenges do you think Spanish teachers in the U.S. face that might be different from other language teachers elsewhere? Um, is it? I'm sh yes. Obviously, teachers can overcome it because um, they stay in the district for 30 years. Mm -hmm. um, I think they're burnt out and they're not happy. But that can happen in a lot of places. Um, it just depends on where you are. I think in a place, no matter where you work, if you don't have supportive leadership, I think it can be really difficult, challenging place to work. Um, and you're getting it as a teacher from all sides, kids, parents, district, co-workers. I mean, it's coming at you from all sides. So not having a support system, I think it really hurts you, okay. makes it challenging. Um, people overcome it though. I think they just look past it or find ways to deal with it. And I mean, I don't know how it is anywhere else, but in the US, in most districts, once you're there for so many years and then you leave, you take a huge pay cut. Okay. So say you're there, say I was in that same district, five years is really the cutoff mark. If I didn't get out four or five years, then I'm, you're kind of stuck. So if you want to go somewhere else, you're taking a huge pay cut. Um, so a lot of people stayed because of that. They just kind of sucked it up and they stayed and now they're making good money, finally. Mm -hmm. And if they leave, they're going to start back on like step one or step two in another district, which will give them a big pay cut. Okay. So the system kind of determines... Yeah. position in that case yeah okay yeah okay. I, mean, I think you just figure out ways to deal with it or you just ignore the problems because everyone else does you just go mm -hmm. on with your day so a lot of the people that we interview and that we talk to and that listen to these podcasts are uh language teachers to to adults and the students generally speaking are the ones enrolling themselves and, and you know quote unquote want to be there or have other modes or, or reasons for taking the classes immigration purposes residency citizenship um, further education, post-secondary degrees. Um, so I guess in your context, when the kids are just, just in school and it's, you know, they're not old enough to make the decision for themselves, what unique challenges do you think you face that teachers in those other contexts maybe don't? Yes, definitely. There are challenges. Um, I'd say majority of the kids are taking the class because they have to. Their parent, either their parents are making them, um, or it looks good on their transcript. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of those kids in that case aren't really invested, and they find, um, and they find it a time to like either hang out with a friend or just goof off. In my school, and I think in most schools, language classes are considered unified arts. So that goes in the same level as like art class or gym class or computer science or whatever. So it's just another class you have to take. It's not a core class, it's not math, it's not science, it's not reading. Um, so it's just not taken seriously by students and other teachers and that, and that kind of puts a damper on things. However, there are students who really enjoy taking language class and they're really good at Spanish and they see themselves succeeding and they, they wanna do better. And they think, hey, I am, I'm doing so well, like I wanna continue taking it. And 
I want to take it in college or I want to be a teacher like you or I want to work overseas. So it just depends. The kids mm -hmm. who are challenging, I mean, I have to find other ways to kind of keep their interest. Okay. It's definitely not Spanish related. Right. Um, but we do so many different things. We do listening and speaking and reading and writing activities and cultural activities and projects. So I see the kids who just hate writing um, do really well sometimes um, on speaking activities because they get to talk to their friends and they're up and they're moving around. Or the kids that hate speaking because they're so nervous, they do better with writing because they can sit and think about it and they can use their notes. Um, and the kids who don't like that, they do really well with projects. So mm -hmm. there are ways that these kids who are challenging that they can do well in the class and succeed and like some aspect of the class. We awesome. listen to a lot of music. Okay. I do a lot of music uh, as they enter the room. We do a lot of games that require music. Um, I do a lot of closed activities where we're listening to music and um, we're putting in words or vocabulary that we're working on. And it's not just like annoying school-based music. Like it's like music I find on <laughs> on the radio, like actual Spanish songs. So that kind of they like that, I think. The actual songs that they might hear, they might hear if they're listening to Spanish radio or or on a movie or something. Nice. So yeah, a lot of the same principles. So application to their real life, something that they can actually hear yeah. or do when they they leave the room, the classroom, right? Yeah, I try to. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hello, friends. This episode of Teacher Talking Time is brought to you by English Central. English Central is by far one of the best source for textbooks and resources in ELT. I don't know about you, but I've been going there for about 15 years. And whether you're an institution or instructor, they have a great selection for you from business to general to academic English and even test prep. So if you're a teacher looking to develop, they have tons of great PD books as well, including two friends of ours who have been on this podcast, Mr. Marek Kikoviak with Teaching English as a Lingua Franca, and Neil McCutcheon, who released Activities for Task-Based Learning. Check out the English Central online at englishcentral.net, or if you're in Toronto, they're right at Young and St. Clair Avenue. Talk to Nicole. She'll be more than happy to chat with you. Now, let's go back to the show. Number six. Over the challenges, what gives you after 25 or 30 years? What gives you over 17 years? 13 years later, what mm. gives you the longevity to keep going? Okay, so the next one is uh, kind of dovetailing onto that or from that question. What gives you the, the longevity to keep going? after 20 years, and have you ever thought about leaving teaching? Whoa, great question. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I have an answer to that. Okay. Well, like I told you, working with education is something different because you see people grow all the time. You know? um, I honestly don't see myself doing other things. I see myself in other possibilities, other kinds of teaching, going online. I love being a translator. Okay. So uh, there, there will come a time when I dedicate myself more to translating than to teaching. Who knows? But I think it's about uh, when you teach languages to someone, it's not just the person, the student who changes. 
they have the capacity to change their families, they change their friendships, they inspire other people, they do better things at work. The community grows a lot when someone speaks English. That's, that's what I tell people, learn languages. Everybody is a win-win, you know? Everybody wins when you speak English around them, especially English and not to mention Spanish and other languages. Good. Uh, so, that's a, so that's a no. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come that's on, don't go so hard on me. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you think you, you mentioned a good point because we all talk about everybody needs change from time to time, but change doesn't yeah. have to be drastic, right? Going from yeah. teaching online to teaching in the classroom is a change. Doing some translation mm-hmm. is a change. Teaching teenagers to young adults is a change. Change doesn't mm-hmm. have to be going from teaching to law. You know, mm-hmm. that's a drastic change. It's also a change, but it's drastic. It I is. think burnout in teaching might be higher than other professions because of the things we love about it. We love the human interaction, presumably. We love the, you know, working with people, presumably. We love the things that come with it, seeing student progress. But to see that, you have to do grading and you have to have tests, And even though I don't really believe in tests. But these things are exhausting and the, the human interaction is mentally yeah. draining. It takes a lot of time. So burnout, I think, is quite a lot higher uh, but in spite of that, these little changes can help us to avoid burnout. And I think taking breaks is important, too. What gives you the longevity mm. to keep going mm. as a teacher, despite those challenges? Mm-hmm. And have you ever thought about stopping? Hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, actually, well, kind of. I mean, I think it's just I really like to have fun in my classes. I like to, like I said, I like to connect with my students. And that never gets boring and it never gets tiring. And it's just so, it's just what we have and what we're so lucky to have is such like a rich access to you know knowledge and culture and experiences and different personalities and all these things so for me it never gets boring i mean i would say if a teacher gets bored of it maybe there's something that they're not doing or they're not kind of i don't want to say exploiting it's not the right word but i mean there's just so much you can access you know you you're so lucky to have this opportunity to be with you know all these people from different countries and whatever mm-hmm. uh with vast experiences and i uh, yeah in terms of longevity yeah i mean I, for me it's just it's 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 the perfect job for me you know I, I like to kind of get up and make jokes and and get to know my students and connect with them you know and have make fun of them and have them make fun of me and all that it's a nice soft landing if you want to be a stand-up comedian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, can um, test out yeah, material. Well, that, that's the yeah. next question. So maybe I might be heading that way. <laughs> so, uh, so you never thought about leaving teaching? Well, I think really, no, not really. Um, like I want to, I'd like to do the, the children's story writing thing. I have that as a side mm-hmm. project. I'm also really interested in spirituality, so I would like to incorporate that nice. into, into teaching somehow. Um, of course, teaching can mean many things. Yeah. It doesn't have to be language teaching no, or even no. what we do EAP teaching. Right, right, be, right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So at the moment, I'm, I'm really engaged in, in teaching English and I yeah. have been since I started. Have you ever thought of leaving teaching? Okay. Yes. After that year, well, the school year ends in what, May, June. In February, March, I handed in my resignation. I talked to the union, my union rep and all of my administration and support staff. And I said, I just can't do this anymore. I'll finish the year like a professional, um, but I'm done with Columbus City. I'm done with teaching. If this is what it is, I'm not interested. Um, so I finished the year. I took my sick days. I took my personal days. I did all that stuff. Um, and I was done. And I got with a temp agency that, that summer. 
and was looking for other options outside of teaching. And then end, end of July that year, a sub a long-term sub position opened up in Bexley School District, which is a really prestigious school district in my town. Um, and I was like, I'll never get this position. And he ended up calling me the same day, literally within five mm. minutes. Can we interview you? Your, your resume sounds great. Da, 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 da. So I went in and I got it. I was like, okay, this is weird. And it was amazing. The administration was supportive. The kids were great. I mean, for the most part, you know. Right. Parents were cooperative <laughs> and supportive. Um, other Spanish teachers and other teachers in the building were just helpful. I was like, this is what it's supposed to be like. This is amazing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm teaching, kids are learning and it's awesome. Um, and then the position was coming to an end. It was a maternity leave. And then the principal said, Hey, another Spanish teacher is taking medical leave. Will you stay on? Uh, yes. So I did another semester, another quarter. And again, I loved it. And I was like, this, this is what teaching is. I want to do this. If this is what it's like, then I'm in. And I don't know if that sounds like self-serving or selfish. I don't know, but I just fell in love with it again. And I thought if this was what it was and it wasn't kids throwing stuff at me and calling me names and swearing at me and parents threatening me, then I will do it again. <laughs> then <laughs> you know, I want to do it. I think that sounds fair. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, so, teaching comes with challenges, as we know. And I think yeah. we're all teachers because we enjoy certain challenges. But I think there's a limit that we can all put yes. up with. And when, when I'm being threatened and called bad names and things are being thrown, then I mean, that's my limit. What gives you the longevity to continue? I would say, you know, working with people, with students, and forming that mutual respect with them uh, gives me that longevity, as you put it, to keep me going and to help my students. Whenever I see that I can make a difference, when I look at the beginning of where I started with a group of students and at the end, that is a, and I can see that I have achieved something, uh, that gives me something to be proud of. To give you an example, at the beginning of the session, I'm just doing level seven right now, uh, students had very little idea about how to form a five paragraph essay. Mm -hmm. Now, today we finished the counter argument and the conclusion. And then this was like an aha moment for them. They had some vague ideas, bits and pieces here and there, but they didn't have a very coherent picture of the whole process. Mm -hmm. And I would say that was very interesting and that gave me that sense of achievement that I need to keep me going as a, as, as a teacher. Fantastic. It is very rewarding, isn't it? It, it is, of course. Have you ever thought about leaving teaching? Um, when I retire, maybe yes. Okay, that's not leaving teaching. I, exactly, <laughs> because um, because you know the, the other thing that I find very interesting about teaching is that because I'm first and foremost I would say I regard myself and define myself and I professional identity as a researcher rather than as a teacher. Mm, okay, and I have uh, quite a number of publications. Uh, in referee journals. And uh, it's very interesting to 
to note that the ideas from these publications, some of them have been uh, cited over a hundred times by other researchers. Wow. Uh, the ideas c- come from my classes. Yeah. So I'm indebted to my students in a way. So no, I will never um, turn away from teaching because I get ideas from teaching first and foremost to produce more research products and then to improve myself as a teacher, as some sort of feedback so that I can help my students better. Another lollipop moment. Another lollipop moment, I would say, yes. 13 years later, what Mm. gives you the longevity to keep going? And have you ever thought, and maybe again, you have a unique or a different perspective as a freelancer, because the second part of the question is, have you ever thought about leaving teaching? And perhaps you view going freelance as leaving, or perhaps you view it as simply uh, moving up, quote unquote. So what gives you Mm. longevity? And have you ever thought about getting out of teaching? Well, I am. Um, I've. I guess I've been in Berlin for about eight years, and um, in Berlin, you m- most people are freelance. So I would say ninety percent of people are actually are actually freelance. Okay. Um, but it's. I guess there's different kinds of freelancing that you you do as well, and I was quite scared about getting into it at the start, but um, I I actually was director of studies of a small language school for for a couple of years. And then I went back to being freelance after after that, and it was at that point that I got some really good advice um, from from a fellow teacher who was saying, "Yeah, you need to um, have your finger in lots of different pies, so <laughs> in order to make it make it work and and make make it last as well. So do teacher training, do uh, you know business English training, in company training." do materials writing, do examining, do as much as you as you can. And I, I really took her advice on board. And um, yeah, and so I got into examining, I got into writing, um, I've done teacher training. And um, yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that, see, see this kind of career style. Um, yeah, going for, for the foreseeable future. Um, but yeah, I definitely did I have thought every now and again about about coming out of the of the business, um, but I don't know whether I would find the same kind of community in another business. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if I went into into I don't know into the the corporate world, or if I went to be a secondary school teacher, for example, or a translator or something, you know, you go to I mean, we met at a conference um, earlier this year in Barcelona, and you just meet such a variety of different people in this business. And I think that um, I I don't know if I could really name another field, which has such a diverse array of people. I mean, you really meet the weird and the wonderful at all of these conferences and all of these events. And it's so interesting and and so, um, you know, supportive and kind of inspiring as well. So no, I'm not looking to get out of the business. Yeah, I was going to say, it doesn't yet. sound like you're looking to get out of it, which is great because I think a lot of <laughs> teachers do, uh, and it's mm. too bad. You said at the beginning or, or earlier on that a lot of teachers mm. give up, or not give up, but leave after three years or so. Uh, I wonder mm. why, you, why you believe that to be true. Mm. Um, I, think, I think people kind of, they, 
or a lot of people that I met when I first started teaching as well, they came into it because they wanted to they they wanted to move to that country, and they could speak English, or they were in uh, so-called um, inverted commas native English speakers, so it was quite easy for them to get into teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and they lived in that country for a while. They enjoyed it. They learned the language, um, and then they went off to explore other kind of passions. Um, and I mean, that's great as well, because um, I think that's a, it's a really good experience. And I know I'm still in touch with a couple of these people. And, um, you know, they look back on their teaching uh, time really fondly. And they definitely learned a lot. Um, yeah. And I think that's probably why. Or some people do it, you know, just um, for a gap year. And some people do it for a while and they can't can't progress anymore. I don't feel that they can progress anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, have you ever experienced burnout? Oh yeah. Yeah. Every week. <laughs> every, every week. Okay. So I think that's that's it, um, at least on the top of my head the most common reason why teachers leave or or take a gap year the opposite way and take a gap yeah. year off from teaching because it is based on all the things that we've talked about and more. You know, it's an exhausting profession, mostly for me mentally exhausting. Mm. So we yeah. we do need breaks, you know, every now and then yeah. as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I don't know if you can call going and living in a van in the outback of Australia for for six months um, a remedy for burnout. Um, I did that. I did that in between Spain and Spain and Germany. You call it <laughs> so, whatever you want. Yeah. I had a little bit of a break. <laughs> yeah. Just no, a but, refresher um, is nice. Something to 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 resettle, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it is. I mean, it is tricky and I know I mean we have a really nice community here in Berlin um, and there's a, a, a lot of you know a lot of teacher teachers colleagues and friends we we see each other a lot and um, it's I mean we give each other a lot of of formal and informal support and I think that's really essential um, because you can go at it on your own but it's just so much easier to kind of approach things when you've got a community around you. Mm-hmm. And I know that's de- that's definitely something that I've learned, especially being here in Berlin, because the community is so strong. Um, but, you know, you have a you have a question, you, there's always someone that you can phone. And I know nowadays with social media, you, there's a lot of platforms that you can go on to get information, to get support. But I think it's, it's still not quite the same as having people that you can you know go have a beer with after work or you can meet up for a for a coffee with and and really spill your heart out to them and then get great advice and i think that's a real cure for burnout number seven the question is what misconceptions or general misconceptions about teaching are sensitive points for you there's misconceptions there's stereotypes you know teachers only work four hours a day they get summers off um they shouldn't complain about etc and there's lots of other ones etc so are there any ones that are super sensitive points for you uh that you'd like to debunk yeah there are a lot um i just saw a meme today it said like the re like something like about like teachers get 
two months. Yeah, teachers get two months off, but we did a whole year into 10 months. It was something like that. So I was like, yes, right on. That's exactly right. <laughs> um, the most misconceptions that I hear, and it comes from family members and friends and just people. I mean, politicians here everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that what's the big deal? You get the whole summer off. You get three months off. Well, first of all, it's not three months. Second of all, a lot of teachers work more than one job. So I'm working a summer job or and or we're taking classes and we're doing going to meetings and professional development and meeting with other teachers and traveling to do those things, go to conferences. So, yeah, we might have the day off. We're not in the classroom per se, but we're still working. And we're all, I mean, I'm constantly thinking of new things to do in my class. And I'm always reading teacher blogs and I'm always talking to somebody about a new project or something I can add or something I could, should take away and not do or do differently. So, I mean, our job never ends. It's always, it's ongoing. Um, yeah, we get a lot of great benefits. We get holidays off and things like that, but uh, we do, I think we do a lot. We do a lot. Yeah, I think, I think that's, a lot of people have said the same answer and that's my answer as well. And, and there's certainly no, you know, crying for us I, I wouldn't say I think I, I like teaching you like we like teaching it is a good profession but I think that, you know the biggest one like you nailed it in saying that teaching exists and perhaps more so when you're not in the classroom and there's so many other things to do and yeah we might only be in the class for four hours a day or something but those are the, the, the hours that are probably the least amount of our worries and so many things that we have to do before and after and on weekends yeah. and things and uh-huh I mean, it's a non, it's nonstop job and you're making decision after decision after decision. And you also have to be like aware of what, of what you're saying and what's going on and what the kids around you doing. I mean, I'm in a class of 30, sometimes 33, 34 kids. It's not like I have 10 kids I'm working with. Like it's it's a lot of, a lot going on. I'm not looking for sympathy. I love it. But people just, I always invite people, Hey, come on in because you'll see it's not what you think. (laughs) You will, you will lose your mind. Is that an open invitation? Always. All right. Let's see if people take you <laughs> up on that. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's a good question. I think, uh, I mean, we 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 work hard. Um, obviously, there's a lot of work outside of the classroom. Mm-hmm. And it's not just marking. You have to prepare. You have to think about... I think you always have to keep evolving and you have to... I think the moment where you just kind of settle and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm a good teacher, students like me... And I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. That's the moment where things start to kind of fall apart. So I think you have to keep um, experimenting, you know, keep trying new things, uh, staying current um, in your knowledge and your ideas and techniques and whatever. So I think, yeah, one misconception is that, that yeah, maybe we, we have quite kind of an easy schedule. Like we finish, we, for example, we only work four hours a day four days a week in the class, but it seems that we have all this free time, but we mm-hmm. don't. I mean, we do have to, we do have a lot of things we have to do. Um, emails from students, you know, and um, emails from administration. There's always things coming up. There's workshops to attend. And and, and then, of course, you have the preparation, you have the marking. So there, there, there's it's a lot more work than maybe people think. But at the same time, it's, the work itself is, is enjoyable. So and mm-hmm. I don't I don't think it's once you're once you're in the classroom and you're in front of the students, 
It is very enjoyable. I don't think maybe some people might think it seems quite daunting. Like they say, I've heard many people say to me, like friends or whoever, like, "Oh, I could never be a teacher." I think you can. You know, everyone has something to, to yeah. offer, and something to give, and something to teach. Um, it's not as hard as it may seem. But that, that being said, it's also it's not like a, just a piece of cake. You walk in and you start teaching. Like you do need to know how to engage the right. students. You do learn techniques. Are there any misconceptions? about teaching that are particularly sensitive to you? Um, I think we share the same, you know, um, like, oh, okay. Some people say like these, do you work too or you still, or you only teach? <laughs> I really allow when they ask me that. And I always tell them, you know, when a teacher is not teaching, they're preparing, <laughs> they're planning, they're grading, they're correcting things, they're thinking about the students. Uh, it happens to you too. You're watching a movie and you pause and you write down. Yeah. Great to use in a lesson like Oh you know? my God. And it's books different. too. I was reading a book. I was finishing Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. And uh -huh. there was a really good, because in essay teaching, I was teaching essays and counter arguments as part of it. And there was a really good counter argument in there about IQ and how most uh -huh. people believe that uh, Asian students' IQ is higher than other students, which actually mm -hmm. is not true. Uh, mm -hmm. They think that because they do better on math scores, which is true. But yep. actually, studies show that, according to the book, studies show that the Asian students actually have lower IQs than other students, and they do better in math because of their first language, not because of math. Because in yep. the example was in Cantonese. In Cantonese, you can say 10 numbers in less than two seconds. Whoa. And two seconds, according to science, apparently, is the amount of time that the human brain can remember all the information inside of that amount of time. So in two seconds. So in English, it takes people four or five seconds to say or to count to 10, let's say. In Cantonese, so you can count to 10 in 1.7 seconds. No, so it isn't Asian students do better on math, according to this, these studies, not because of their IQ or intelligence or how they study. It's because what their first language is, which I thought was really interesting. So, yeah, I, I paused that book. I wrote it down. I typed up a whole thing. I didn't even finish the chapter because I was so excited. Yeah, I know. I know the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, people, sometimes people, um, the, the thing I, I listen the most related to our teaching, English teaching profession, profession is... Oh, uh, I've traveled abroad. I think I'm, I'll start being a teacher. Right. And I say, okay, don't do that. Uh, I, I just tell people, you got to be really, really into teaching and studying the language and being responsible for someone's knowledge. It's not just about teaching. People say, uh, like, little lessons. They have the diminutive. I don't know if you use the diminutive like these two, but lessons are all us. And diminutives are all in us, you know, like if they are uh, underestimating your profession. So like I told you, whether we are teaching or we're preparing and then we are planning, we are programming things. So it is exhaustive. People don't get it because they don't do it. Mm. And it's really easy to talk about things you don't know, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you look at an architect and say, oh, it's just a piece of drawing. <laughs> right. You know? To, 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 to get to a vat and say, no, I just need to take a quick look. <laughs> it's just like that. <laughs> Let's stop underestimating professions, please. Good. Uh, <laughs> yes. One of the misconceptions is that some people think that, some people think that teaching is a very easy job to do. Um, they think, okay, it's not, you go and talk with people, there are 
some syllabus that you cover, you deliver something, and that's it, end of the story. What they don't appreciate is that um, teaching requires a lot of prep time. Before you go to class, you need to prepare yourself. If you want to be a good professional teacher, you need to do your homework before you ask your students to do theirs. Uh, you need to prepare well PowerPoints. I don't know, we have new technologies around these days, all those different things. And it's not just the end of the story. Once you finish class, you need to do a lot of marking. So mm -hmm. I would say we have pre-listening, listening, post-listening post <laughs> phases in a listening. I, I would just try to draw a paddle structure with that and say we have pre-teaching, teaching, and post-teaching phases in a uh, in a day on a daily day-to-day -day basis in a teaching. And long weekends too. Yes, like long weekends. Yeah. Exactly, on weekends like last night. I What's a long weekend? I don't know what a long weekend is. Exactly, we don't have long weekends. We <laughs> oh. have long in terms of long working hours. We have weeks. We, we have weekends. Weeks. Exactly, yeah. that's what we do. Yeah. We, we have. Yeah. Are those your phrases? Did you come up with? Did you or you just make that up right I now? I just the made it up. Listening, like, I just I like made that, that up right now. I'm going to use that. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I, that. I just you know, I made it up right now. Oh, sensitive. <laughs> I guess, I guess a lot of people who aren't in this profession um, don't quite grasp what a business English trainer does. And I guess maybe the kind of business English training I do is a little bit different to what other people do as well. So I think a lot of my friends still think that I kind of I'm one of these teachers who wears a black suit and has a chalkboard <laughs> and scratches their nails across the board and, and teaches grammar. Um, when actually I can't really remember the last time that I taught grammar. And then when you start talking about it and you talk about kind of communication and intercultural communication, especially, and how that happens in English, then they start realizing, oh, okay, actually what you do is a little bit, it's a lot deeper than what they kind of assumed. Um, but I, I would say that's mainly from my friends and family back home back in the UK and of course they're in this monolingual um, setting and so they also they don't maybe they don't realize that they're part of the problem with the mm. kind of teaching that I'm doing because I mean native so-called um, inverted commas native English speakers um, are probably one of the worst communicators most of the time because they don't have intercultural experience. A lot of them don't speak other languages. Yes. They don't know how to accommodate. Um, and so it's quite enlightening for them to get into a bit of a debate with me. <laughs> which I, I start the debate <laughs> when they say, well, what, what do you actually do in class, Mandy? Do you just sit around and talk about grammar? And I say, well, no, actually, we talk about how how we can communicate with people like you who can't communicate very well and they then they think ah, oh that's yeah. nice oh okay that is true i would say that's probably that's probably a pet peeve of mine as well with because people people kind of think that as a teacher and especially a language teacher we're responsible for teaching the language when actually it's more it's a community a communal effort so it's it's everybody who is working internationally and everyone who's involved in some kind of international communication exchange then everyone is responsible for it and actually i've had native speakers in some of my courses before as well and it's really interesting because at the start everyone's everyone 
even the students think, what are they doing in an English class? And then by the end, they realize, ah, this isn't an English class. This is actually a focus. This has got a focus on communication, mm -hmm. which is happening in English. And it's really important that these, so these English people or English speaking people know a bit about their language. Um, but there are many misconceptions about teaching and teachers, perhaps from non-teachers. Are there any that bug you or do you just accept them as a occupational hazard type of thing? Uh, yeah, it's funny. I think they used to bug me. They don't bug me anymore. But the funniest sticking point from when I was a younger, more arrogant person, uh, maybe I still am, not young, <laughs> the other one, but you're still young. Oh, hey, thanks, Andrew. That's yeah. All right. That's why I'm on the podcast. <laughs> um, was when I first was getting into teaching, I was in a car <laughs> with a few other prospective teachers. And one of them said to me, so, Matthew, you're a teacher. And I said, yes. And she said, so where so where did you go to teacher's college? And I said, I haven't been to teacher's college yet. Mm -hmm. I've been accepted. I'm going to go next year. And she said, so you're not a teacher. Ah. And I said, yes, I am. And she said, well, you can't be a teacher because you haven't been to teacher's college. And I said, no, a teacher has being a teacher has nothing to do with qualifications. It's like a personality and it's a, an ability. And I, and, and I was getting heated up, you know, yeah. I was taking it personally. And the woman, the girl, the young lady driving the car turned around and said, stop arguing. <laughs> it's like, we were both friends of hers. So she didn't want us to like claw each other's eyes out. But mm -hmm. that was the thing. And I, I know it's a controversial thing to say, but I think teaching is a calling. You can become a better teacher, that's for sure. But you can't learn to be a good teacher. I mean, you that's you either are a teacher or you're not. And most of the sticking points are that people who are whose calling is not to be a teacher, they may have their other callings, whatever it is. Sure. To be a hockey player, to be a bricklayer, to be an administrator of one kind or another, to be in advertising or driving a bus or whatever it is, a lawyer, whatever they do. You either are or aren't a teacher by your um, your disposition, and then for those of us for whom it is a calling, it's actually responsibility to keep developing over mm -hmm. our lives. Good, yeah, I, we, I we think so too. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. You know, quality professional development is such an important part of the teaching industry, but it's surprisingly hard to come by. That's why I was so pleased to come across Learn Your English, a company providing online teacher education courses with a fresh perspective. My name is Erin, and I'm an English language teacher. After a decade in the classroom, I found myself teaching the same things in the same way. My learning seemed to have plateaued. I wanted to take charge of my learning, and I really like how the online Learn Your English courses don't prescribe anything. They motivate me to reflect on my teaching and propose tactics and ideas I hadn't considered. If you're a language teacher wanting to learn inside your busy schedule, I highly recommend their online courses on Thinkific. Head on over to lyenetwork.thinkific.com. That's lyenetwork.thinkific.com. Take control of your education. You won't regret it. Hey everyone, my name is Azat Bostash and I'm from Turkey. You are listening to Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. Last one, number eight. All right, last question, and this is a two-parter. What advice would you have for yourself on your first day of teaching, knowing what you know now? And then part two, 
what advice would you have for a new teacher of language starting today? Okay, let's uh, take it one at a time. So, a piece of advice to new teachers mm -hmm. today. Today, I would say, don't go into teaching if you think that you do not uh, enjoy working with people, because teaching is all about working with people. If you think that you're um, do not want to sit down with people and talk with them and enjoy that talk. It's not just talking, it's enjoying that. Then don't go into the teaching profession. Uh, so that is my advice for other people. I think um, try, to, try to make a connection with your students, but in a, very, in a genuine way. I think I found a lot of teachers maybe, and this is from here, listening to what students say about their teachers, is that um, the teacher is not genuine. Like, they, they feel like, nah, I don't really know him or her. I don't really feel any connection with my teacher. So I would say, and it sounds very cliche, but try, um, try to be yourself and let your personality come out as much as you can. Don't feel like you have to follow a specific model of what a teacher is, you know, in terms of like, mm -hmm. oh, a teacher must be very extroverted or must be uh, an entertainer and whatever. No, just be be who you are and try to um, try to use activities in your class where students are getting to know each other and they're also getting to know you, I think. Because I think the connection that you make is so important. Um, it's, for me, it's essential like to make that kind of connection with the students because once you make that connection, they, they trust you and you have to build that trust and they have to know that you're a real person as well, uh, not just this, this teacher. Okay. Um, I think this sounds cliche too, because you hear people say it, but the biggest thing is making relationships. And I don't think I understood that my first year. Like I can't, I know I came in like total Trump, like authoritative, like this is my classroom and this is what we're doing. And those kids were like, uh-uh, <laughs> we are not and you are not. So. I learned and I had to learn quickly. It's, I mean, relationship based. So I like to, yes, I like to do things content related to Spanish to start getting them hooked. The first day, like the first day we do stuff like, what's my name? What's your name? How old are you? Just to get them going and listening to music. Mm -hmm. But it's really, I spend the first couple of weeks just building those relationships, figuring out who and who can deal with what, how, how is this relationship going to go? Is it going to be a mutual relationship? Are we going to get along? Or am I going to be fighting and trying to get your friendship just to build this relationship, just to get you to trust me? Right. To know that, hey, this class, it might be rough, but it's going to be fun. We're going to be, everyone's going to um, have a good time. And I mean, once they realize that, sometimes it takes, hey, I had a kid that challenged me all year last year, but on the last day of school, he brought his mom in and said, can I get a picture with you? Because I really enjoyed the last, the end of the school year. I was like, to his mom, like, hey, it took nine months, but I got him. Hey. I got him. You have to figure out a way that you're comfortable with to be goofy and just let them see you, your real personality. I make mistakes all the time. I always make mistakes. But I was like, you know what? I don't know what that word means. Let me look it up. Or let me ask my friend, Andrea. I always ask Andrea questions. Um, or you know what? I don't know. I've never heard of this. Let me figure it out. And That's so important. That's great. I'm glad to hear you say that. I think it's important. I don't know everything. I don't 
pretend that I know everything and I, they see me using the dictionary. So I think that's important. Well, if I had to talk to myself, I would say never stop studying because I have for some time and I regret it, but okay, move on. And believe in yourself, even when nobody else does. Mm. Um, so like I said, never stop studying, believe in yourself and changing is good, please. Believe changing is good. <laughs> it was really hard for me to change things. And when I understood it was okay, things got easier in my job, in my career, in my profession. In Why my was it hard to change? Because you are so comfortable with who you are. And people tend to believe that changing is not a good thing. We are still pessimistic about it. So change always comes for better reasons. You always get better, you enhance, you improve. So if I had a better look on change, I think I wouldn't suffer so much. I guess advice for someone starting out today is to spend the first kind of year or two getting as much experience as possible, because I think you do need to kind of slave away a little bit at the start so that you can figure out what you like and what style you have. Um, and especially in business English, I think you need to go through, you need to teach with course books, you need to teach with your own materials, you need to teach bespoke courses. Um, and then after a couple of years, you'll kind of, you'll, you'll know, oh, okay, I'm quite good at teaching this area. And then you can focus because I think it's really, really important to be able to, to hone in on your expertise. Um, I know I was talking to a, a friend colleague here in Berlin and he had previously worked in, um, in industry and a call center. And I said, oh, well, you know, that means that you've, you've already used customer service English in your job. So why not m manipulate that and monopolize on it um, and create a bespoke course for customer service in English? Mm -hmm. and he, oh, yeah, great. And, um, and he, maybe that was a lollipop moment as well. He said to me <laughs> afterwards, like, oh, that was really good advice. And I think he went, a went ahead and did it as well. Do you have advice for setting up your own business? Oh, <laughs> well, I think um, I actually I actually spoke to a lot of different people who had set up very who had set up similar businesses um, and got a lot of advice from from people who, who are in different countries as well. Um, what advice about a website advice about, um, yeah, SEO texts on the website about courses um, and about how how everyone did it. And I think that was really good. So this kind of crowdsourcing approach, especially in nowadays um, with social media, it's so easy to do. Mm -hmm. And that was really helpful because if you find out how how other like how ten, 10 other people have done it, then you can pick and choose um what they've done and then apply it to your to yourself um and learn and, from their mistakes as yeah, well and learn from the mistakes and yeah gain from their successes as well um i think it's really important to have a clear idea of what you want and what you want to give as well and what you can give talking to a to a friend a couple of years ago about about his business and and saying yeah you know you'll still be working on this in five years and of course it's three years down the line and he is still working on it right um i think the the rewards you get as well are not often instant so you're still i think it's also when you're setting up setting yourself up it's still important to keep contacts to keep networking and mm -hmm. to keep online presence as well um, because just setting yourself up as a as a business entity is not always going to be successful straight away. 
And then part B mm. is more reflective, I guess, going yeah. back 17 years now. Yeah. Danny yeah. on day one. Yeah. yeah. What advice would you give to that person? I mean, actually, humbly, I uh, I did quite well. <laughs> uh, I think I did well in terms of like trying to teach while at the same time finding materials or things that I could relate to and connect with. And I've, I've carried that through through the years, right like trying to not only teaching them just random stuff, but like teaching them stuff that, that's interesting for me as well, um, that engages me. And, and so you have that enthusiasm. So I think I, I, I had that enthusiasm from the very beginning. I, I'm glad that I, I kept going and I'm glad that I uh, continue to evolve and continue to explore and continue to experiment. Um, and yeah, there were times where it was, you know, it was challenging where my students maybe didn't understand what I was talking about or they didn't, um, maybe they weren't motivated. So I think I, 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 I tried to continually, I think for me, I'm glad that I was always like reflective and I was always thinking about, you know what, I had a hard day today. And students like, I remember in the very beginning, students were like, eh, you know, my English hasn't really improved that much in, in, in a month or two months. And I took it very personally. Um, but I think over the years, I've, I've kind of taken things a little bit less personally and like try to be a bit more like, okay, so this thing, this lesson or whatever technique is not really working. How can I make it better? Today was not a good day. I, I don't want to see these guys ever again. But that's just today. Tomorrow's a new day. Mm -hmm. So I always try to try to kind of keep that attitude where, you know, today didn't go as well as I had planned, but then tomorrow's another day and there's a new chance for them to for me to to help them. And I think that that's important, like to have this kind of nice. feeling that you you know you're you're help at the end of the day you're trying to help them. It's funny because I've been doing this for so long now. Oh well more than 20 years is that I think it's just been a, I've had it's been a process where I've had to learn through experience like what advice could I possibly give to my younger self it was just things I had to learn through trial and error mm -hmm. so I mean I guess the advice I'd give to a starting teacher is know that there will be trial and error and you know I was lucky to have a mentor the owner of the school where I first started who gave me a chance and I remember I was embarrassed because I'd had success with my first few semesters and then I was stuck maybe a year in with it. Just a group. We didn't get along with each other. They didn't value what I was offering. They had different expectations. Some of them were rude. Some of them were dishonest. They were different ways that really challenged my tolerance and they could sense it. And my, my boss, who was in her 70s and a career teacher herself, said, that's okay, Matthew. We all have some classes that, that don't work. Okay. She said, we'll have some classes where it just doesn't work and don't worry it happens to all of us that made me feel a lot better there was less of this feeling that i was that things were always going to improve would always be better it's not necessarily the case you will fail sometimes you will fall on your face um, but i would say to teachers young teachers starting out now just say find your own voice find your own voice don't you do what you want but for me personally this is not a this is a profession it's not about being a sheep you know and you have to be careful Good. Because this culture is a culture based on consumption and, uh, you know, it sounds fairly pat to say, but it's a culture where the official narratives are about compliance and conformity and accepting a mindset that's being handed on a platter and normalized through various forms of technology. You don't have to follow any of this. 
for God's sake, find what is in you as a person without all the apparatus. Find what it is that spark that makes you unique and nurture it and convey it. This this is your, this is what you should do. That's what I think you should do. Everyone has their own, you know, I know it's hard to be confident and to find your feet and to really have faith. But what else do you have to offer? You, you have yourself to offer as a teacher. That is a special thing about this job. Maybe bus drivers have themselves in how they drive a bus or how they deal with customers. Maybe wall painters and, and all the other various million jobs have that too but in teaching really be yourself be kind to yourself and then and, and uh, go out on a limb try it well that's said very well said i don't know if matthew brown on day one would have had that answer but that's part of the <laughs> trial and error and that's no. part of the experience and, i would say to teachers now people who are starting keep the passion alive making people uh making people understand things understand the new language or whatever you teach is so empowering for both people, you know. When one teaches, two learn. That's the that's the saying, you oh, know. I like that. So yeah, yeah, it's a quotation. It's not mine, and I forgot the person who said it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but that's about it, you know. You share knowledge. Knowledge is supposed to be shared. Is that how you keep passion alive? Because I was, was going to ask, well, what's the advice to keep passion alive? But is that it? Yeah, it is. You know, like uh, like I told, dealing with people. First of all, be pretty sure you like to deal with people because they demand attention, energy. Uh, sometimes a student needs a shoulder. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a student needs some minutes of empathy more than anything, and then they're ready to start the lesson effectively. So um, continuous development, never, never, ever think about, oh, I know what I have to do. My grammar is excellent, so I, I don't have to sit in one. Mm. If you are perfect in grammar, start studying other abilities. If your language skills are phenomenal, start studying human skills. Start studying how to deal with anxiety, how to how to how to lower the the emotion the emotional future of your, your students. You know, it's just like that. Understand people more than you understand language. The other thing about my younger version, the first day, uh, I would say. Sit, I would say sit down with more experienced teachers mm. and listen to them and learn from their from their experience and Try not try to be shy in asking questions Because that that takes a lot of courage if you don't know when you go and ask some people don't do that especially new teachers mm -hmm. now when I was a new teacher I didn't, well, I had that courage, but not a lot of it. Okay. So sometimes I thought, if I go and ask this question from Andrew, who's more experienced than me, uh, he, Andrew, might think that, oh, I'm not, I don't know what my, what, how to do my I job. I was going to say, yeah. However, I would, I would have done that more frequently if, if I wanted to start again. Right now, I'm quite easygoing. Yeah. I know that I need to learn from people. We all and do. it's not Everyone to do does. with your, I don't know, the years of teaching yeah. experience you've had, the years of, I don't know. So it's no, not even with your, I don't know, age. If I have a question, I can easily go to Andrew and say, Andrew, I don't understand this. Can you please explain? Likewise. And that is, that is my uh, advice to my young version. And this is this is what I said at the beginning. I became a teacher because I wanted to learn better myself. Now, if I want... So teaching is like continuously being a student. Mm -hmm. You keep learning. 
Now, you learn from the students, you learn from other teachers and colleagues. And if you stop doing that, you're not a good teacher anymore. Thank you all for listening. We'd like to dedicate this special mini-series to education professionals everywhere and thank them for all the work they do. A very special thanks to all six talented educators who took part in these two episodes. All right. Well, Danny McGee, thank you very much. This has been great. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Do you prefer teaching the kids you teach? Yes. I love it. I love, love, love it. Good. (laughs) People say it takes a saint to teach middle schoolers, and I think they're right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, St. Angela, we'll leave it there, I suppose. That's a good place to end it. Thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Brilliant. I think that's a good place to leave it. Thank you, Mustafa, so much for this. You're very welcome. My pleasure. And we'll reach a few more. All right. Radhya, thank you very oh, much. It's been you. great. Thank you. Great. Mandy yeah. Welfare, thank you very much for this. Uh, we appreciate the time and you've been very, very insightful. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. It was fun. <laughs> thank you for having me on. Oh, I like that. That is that is a good good place to finish, I think. That thank is you. That's great. I uh, Barita, thank yeah. you very much for joining us. This has been fantastic. My pleasure. It was amazing being with you. Thank you so much. Be sure to check out the show notes as well for information and links to special projects each of our participants are working on. If you have a question about the show, the series, or Learn Your English, we'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email, info at learnyourenglish.com. This is Teacher Talking Time. Catch you all next time. Man, that's it. That's it. That was hot. That was fun. All right, and that's it. That's it. We're done. That's it. That was great. Do you see my husband behind me? I do. All right, man. That's it. We're done. Oh, great. Thank you for hanging in for all of that. I know it's a little bit long. Thank you so much. Oh, was it? I'm so sorry. No. <laughs> Did I waffle? No, it's because it's so good. I'm going to have to figure out what to do. It's great. Oh, chop chop it all up. Yeah, <laughs> Put in well, blueberries. That's all fine as well. <laughs> You've been listening to Teacher Talking Time, brought to you by Learn Your English. Ready to take control of your education? You're in the right place. Teaching, professional development, learning. Expand your world with Learn Your English.